Welcome to another edition of Chapel Hill Thrill. This is kind of a not planned emergency pod, but turned into an emergency pod because an hour before we record this, the news that Tez Walker is finally a free man broke. Wonderful, wonderful. We're going to get into that, but I am here with the special guest today. One of my good friends, classmates, absolute legend, Brandon Wakiji to chop it all up with me. How you doing, Brandon? I'm doing well, Jacob. Thanks for having me. Really happy to be here. You know, you know it's kind of crazy that like not even like two years ago, we were sitting in Professor Chip Sweeney's class in our sports marketing and advertising, you know, working on that Orange Bowl presentation. And now, now look at us, man. We're just uh, making it in this world of sports media. So kind of surreal, man. Yeah, it is. And those Sweeney classes, man, they were... <laughs> There's something special. Good old Carol Hall yeah. cooking up, cooking up our presentations, cooking up our, our thoughts to pitch to people. What is what a time, man. What a time that was. But yeah, we'll we'll, we'll dive right into the test stuff, man, because yeah. this is a verdict that the NCAA, in my opinion, not coming from a stance of I'm a UNC fan so I'm biased just in general in my opinion was just a incorrect verdict yeah it was wrong from the start and they finally looked into it and decided that Tez would be eligible however even with him being deemed eligible there's still the drama because the NCAA refuses to come out and just admit that they were wrong there's always the excuse. So how do you feel about the NCAA's handling of how they released this news? Because there's a lot of people that aren't very happy with the wording. Did I think, I think they just absolutely botched it from the start. I mean, this was really easy. It was a really easy verdict to make. Tez clearly had that extra year of eligibility due to COVID-19, but the NCAA, as they commonly do, just decided to play this cat and mouse game of politics and really just overstep their authority and overstep their boundaries. And this just really brings to the forefront how much the NCAA routinely, just routinely oversteps, oversteps its place and just really places its hands in the fate of these student athletes. And honestly just has way too much power to determine the future of these student athletes. I mean, what happened with Tez um, is just, it's really an atrocity because from the start, he should have been playing at UNC. We, like we heard the news, we saw the news. There was nothing, there was nothing like, there was nothing kind of like beyond what was given to us that was like hidden in the forefront. I think, I think this is really just a turning point that people are seeing the NCAA has way too much discretion and, and way too much power to determine the lives of these student athletes and how they can proceed. And look, something's got to be done about it. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't have the answers. I don't have the solutions here, but something's got to be done because they, they just can't keep doing this and can't keep having this inflated sense of power to really um, jeopardize these student athletes. Yeah, it's the issue lies within 
they pick and choose who they want to make an example of. And that's where it's like, I disagree with the whole entire ruling in general. But if you're going to make those rules, you can't make exceptions for half the kids and then screw the other half of the kids over. And they tried to make an example. And this, I'm going to read the full statement for people who might not know because this is just absolutely nasty work by the NCAA. It is unfortunate that UNC failed to provide this important information previously. While we must be careful not to compromise a student-athlete's right to privacy when it comes to sensitive issues, we want to assure the Division I membership and everyone watching how the new transfer rules are applied that this meets the new transfer waiver standards. UNC's behavior and decision to wage a public relations campaign is inappropriate and outside the bounds of the process UNC's own staff supported. Had the UNC staff not behaved in this fashion and submitted this information weeks ago, this entire unfortunate episode could have been avoided. And that is the most BS statement I've ever read. Basically, the NCAA is looking to use a scapegoat. I can guarantee you with how reluctant UNC was being against this decision. They provided every bit of information that they had. I, I can guarantee you everything that had to do with Tez and why they thought he should be eligible was turned in. And I, I can assure you of that. And now the NCAA is trying to pawn it off. They did not do that. And then they're trying to say an outrage could be avoided. First off, nobody started a, a PR campaign. It was just everyone was on social media telling you you were idiots because it was a dumb decision. And that basically sparked Bubba Cunningham, who is the AD at UNC, for those of you who don't know, to say, we are happy that Tez Walker is now eligible to play and enjoy doing what he loves to do. However, the justification provided by the NCA today is not accurate. The university submitted all necessary information and documentation as it was made available to us at the time, and we still believe Tez met all standards for the waiver in early August. It is not clear why the NCAA delayed making the correct decision then, but we are pleased to get to the appropriate resolution now. So after all that dumpster fire mess of words, I mean, what what are your what are your takeaways? Because this is a lot deeper than Tez is just not playing now. Look, I think I think the first thing is just I'm I'm really tired of this tomfoolery of this. He said, she said. I, I think that I think what we miss with all of this, with all of this, the headlines is that there there is an athlete here that wants to play, that's passionate about this game in Tez Walker, who couldn't help his team win football games uh, for the first four games of the season because guys were just busy debating over politics in the media. I mean, that, that, that's just ridiculous. And I think I think we lose the, we lose sight of the fact that there is an actual person behind this as an actual player dedicated to this game. That just can't happen because this bureaucracy of sorts just wants to take over. And like you said, make an example out of someone, even though in this case, this was a clearly wrong example in so many ways. And I just look, I, I just keep saying 
The NCAA needs some version of checks and balances because they have way too much power and way too much discretion to decide these things in the case of athletes. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take it back a little bit to, um, uh, me being from Memphis, Tennessee, if you guys don't know, um, the, the Memphis Tigers, the basketball team is actually engaged, um, in a, in a, in a similar battle, um, against uh, the NCAA, uh, trying to get a waiver for Deandre Williams, uh, the starting center of the Memphis Tigers basketball team. Um, he's, he is trying to play on his final year of eligibility because he is, um, he's holding that he has an extra year due to COVID-19, uh, when he was a transfer student, um, at, uh, university of Illinois Edwardsville, I believe it was, but, um, Look, the NCAA denied his claim, and now he has to submit a waiver. Yeah, he is submitting a waiver uh, with his legal team in order to play. And look, that that just brings me to the point of why is the NCAA the sole decision maker here? Why are they the only people who decide the fates of these athletes with no kinds of checks or balances, even when the information has been presented to them, all the logic, all the factual information? Why are they the only ones that have this decision-making power? And it's a question that I will continue to raise, and I, I just don't think is right because they're putting the lives of these student-athletes in jeopardy and their playing careers in jeopardy. Yeah, it's it's really brutal, and it just doesn't make sense because I don't know the names off the top of my head, but I've seen countless examples on Twitter of guys who were on their sixth school and got and guys who that are playing that are not it's like they, they they like I said man they pick and choose based on the stature of either the player or the stature of the program like I look at an example this year if let's say Drake May had transferred to UNC right and then let's say Drake May would have taken that huge offer that Alabama apparently was giving him to try to come there this year. And let's say he then transferred to Bama. And that was his second transfer in as many years. I promise you the NCAA would have made him eligible. Yeah. I promise you. Yeah. And that's that's the upsetting part about it. It's I do agree with you. There has to be checks and balances. And I think I don't know how this would work. But I think why things work so well in the NFL and in the NBA is because they have players associations. And I mm -hmm. think we need to put that somehow into college athletics because they don't have anyone speaking for them other than their school. So there's no unbiased like liaison between the two parties. So it, you just get – you just get NCAA side, school side. Nobody looks at it from an objective stance. That's what we really need to add. But we'll go to the positive side. Tez Walker being eligible is absolutely massive for this football team. An offense that's already great. They've really dominated a couple times on the ground. They had an air raid against Minnesota. You know, Chip Lindsey's balanced. They they really do it however they need to do it. But now with Tez back, we finally have that downfield speed, threat, size. I mean, how, like, if you're a UNC fan, how are you reacting to our receivers were doing fine 
Yeah. And now we add a true number one to a four and O squad. Like, how does that make you feel as a fan? Look, I would be extremely excited. Uh, this Tez Walker, like you said, he has that mix of speed, downfield play, who could really add just another element to this offense, give Drake May another weapon for downfield looks. Um, it's really going to be an even more explosive offense. It's going to be really exciting to have Tez Walker in the fold and, you know, really couldn't have come at a better time as UNC is facing this pivotal stretch. They're going up against Syracuse this Saturday. They'll be facing Miami, another ranked team in Miami soon, as well as Virginia. So, I mean, just having those having more options, having that guy who can make downfield plays, who Drake may can really, you know, throw those bombs to is going to be so great for this UNC offense. And like you said, this air raid offense that um, with Chip Lindsay, that's really, really prioritizes, you know, having a having motion, really getting it out to guys in space. Tez Walker is going to be an explosive playmaker for the Tar Heels. Yeah, it's, it's really going to be interesting to see how they attack because <clears throat> This is the first year, and it really hasn't been that long, but the only other team that I really can say was a little bit like this from a personal personnel standpoint was the Howe team that had Javante and Michael Carter. So you had the two running backs, and then they also had Dami Brown. And, God, why am I losing my mind on the other receiver? But they basically had two really good receivers, two good running backs. They could beat you with the run. They could beat you in the air. Yep. The thing I like about it, especially with – I would not like it as much with Phil Longo because if Phil Longo was still the OC, it would just literally be chuck the ball 55, 60 times, and you never know what's going to happen. This year, Chip Lindsey's not going to force it. If Amarion is feasting, Amarion's going to get the ball. And – now it's going to open up like Tez Walker's probably going to be wide open four to five times a game because he's not going to be getting force fed. Last year they liked to force feed Josh Downs. There was a lot of times either he wouldn't be he wouldn't be open. It would be a really tough catch and a tight window. Tez is going to be open a lot more. And oh man, it's gonna be it's gonna be great to watch them set up like Omarion three straight times down the gut for 10 yards. The defense pinches in just a little bit, and then Tez is downfield for 60 yards, wide open over the top. It's also going to be great for, like, I guess the next discussion point. This is going to be great for our Drake for Heisman narratives because his stats should – uh should increase tenfold, which they already were going to because he wasn't having a great first third of the season. Mm -hmm. Now they're going to increase tenfold because of how good Tez Walker is. So where do you currently have Drake in your, in your Heisman, I guess, supremacy list? So I currently have Drake May fourth, uh, fourth ranked. Uh, let me tell you the guys I have ahead of him. The first guy, uh, Michael Penix in Washington. Oh, yeah. I think he's. I think at this point you have to consider him the clear favorite. Um, he just just the way he has got. Um, fun fact today: he has now a consecutive streak of five games in which he's 
thrown for over um, over a thousand over a thousand receiving yards. So I'm mean, over a thousand yards. So I mean, I just think this guy is. I think he's leading this race currently. Um, but you know, not to say not to say that Drake McCann can't catch up, but I think he's just one of the most explosive players in college football at the yeah. moment right now. Um, and then I've got then I've got Caleb Williams, who you know is is the Heisman, the Heisman winner last year, but you know is make, making another case for himself this year. Um, just continually, just you know, no matter what game USC is in, no matter the deficit that they're in, as long as they have Caleb Williams, um, they have a chance in that game because he can he. He can just make plays out of thin air, and I think that's you know that's really why he is that um, undisputed number one prospect in next year's draft. But um, got him at number two, and then at number three, I've got Bo Nix in Oregon, um, also putting up uh, just a wonderful season there, um, just continuing to be continuing to be great. Um, this matchup this weekend against Washington, Oregon, is going to be <laughs> going to be something. But um, then we've got then we've got Drake May there. Uh, I think, like you said, he had a he had a slower start to the year, um, you know, especially in those games against South Carolina, and so. But he's but he started to pick up speed. We see this offense, especially in the Minnesota game, we're really starting to see uh, what this offense can be under Lindsey, and really um, starting to see more of those play action passes, starting to see more of those designed quarterback runs for Drake May as well. So I really believe with Tez Walker, we're really going to see Drake May. Um, emerge and be explosive uh, you know he's currently currently has averaging about um, 1,187 yards in the season uh, five touchdowns uh, four interceptions and 86 quarterback rating so um, I think we're really starting to see Drake may come into his own and really be uh, really show why he's that number two prospect um, in this in this NFL draft coming up and I think it's going to be uh, really exciting. It's going to start with the Syracuse game on Saturday. I think he really has a chance to um, show um, show the world really um, the quarterback prospect that he is. You know, the battle of two, um, the battle of two big, big, big dogs in the uh, ACC. And we know Syracuse, their defense is going to get get after Drake May. So you know, hopefully, hopefully Lindsey continues to uh, build upon those quarterback runs because we know Drake May ca- can make plays with his legs. Yeah, I think. I honestly think Drake is in a fine spot. I mean, first off, we've seen he still can do it when he needs to. Like, you throw for 400 against Minnesota. He just hasn't really needed to do that in other games. I mean, App State could not stop the run, so there was really no point in forcing throws. They were up early on South Carolina, so there was really not – a point in throwing the ball in the end of the third and then the entire fourth quarter. And then you look at the pit game. He kind of turned it on for a second when it was close to give UNC a huge lead. And then from there, it was like domination. But I'm looking at it as Syracuse, it's not going to be an easy game. He could easily have to throw for 330 yards that game. And then you get Miami. He's going to have to throw against Miami. That's going to yeah. be a shootout. They're going to no have to score. Mm-hmm. I mean, that could be a 350-yard game. That's 680 right there. Then Virginia is just god-awful. <laughs> so he's got three at home. If he wants to, he can throw for 350 or 400 on them. You're talking about 1,000 yards in a three-game stretch to put him at 2,100. Say he throws – you know, six touchdowns in that stretch with no picks, then you're looking at an 11 to four ratio. Then he's like right back in that 
right back in that mix. Now, the I do agree. I th- Michael Penix would be my husband right now, and I say that because one, he's uh, he's insane. Like, there's no doubt Caleb Williams is the best quarterback in the nation. Like, he's the one of the more insane prospects we've ever seen. But I think when it all comes down to it, USC might lose three games. They're not very good. Like, yeah, they're only in games because of how good Caleb is. Yes. Dude, they're deep. Like, they beat Colorado by seven with no Travis Hunter. Yeah. Like, struggled against, uh, struggled against Arizona State, too. Yeah. Uh, really, really struggled, like, until the fourth quarter, until, like, midway through the fourth quarter. It's Couldn't bad. stop the run. I'm just looking at the rest of their schedule, bro. They have to play Utah, Notre Dame, Washington, and Oregon. So I'm just like, if 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 Washington beats, if Washington beats USC, and then you've got the Penix over, so Penix will have the the edge over Caleb there because that's just how they look at it. Yeah. Um, it's going to come down to – God, dude, it's going to be tough because basically if Washington beats Oregon and USC, I think he'll win the Heisman. Absolutely. If he beats yeah. Bo Nix and he beats Caleb Williams, I don't think that they'll really have an argument. Now yeah, – I agree. The sleeper – I mean, if I'm – if I was a – you know, looking at this from a betting odds standpoint – I would definitely say from a money standpoint, I mean, Drake May is at plus 4,000. Not awful value, but yeah. I would honestly probably – Quinn Ewers at plus 700 is pretty insane because the Big 12, if he can get past Saturday, yeah, the Big 12 is not great. But, man, it's – I just – I always like to send a message to UNC fans every pod, though, and I'm like, look, I know that we went into this season wanting to defend our Drake is on the same level as Caleb. We need him to win a Heisman Mm -hmm. narratives. Mm -hmm. I'm cool with that. I still think Drake is great. I still think Drake's second-best quarterback in the class. But I would urge all of you – to not care about that and put it to the side, I will sacrifice Drake May winning a Heisman and me saying that he's better than Caleb Williams for this team to go 12-0 and into an ACC title game with a chance to go to the playoff. I will sacrifice that every day of the week. So if it's going to be Omarion Hampton running for 210, let it be Omarion Hampton running for 210, man. I mean, who cares? Just win. That's all I care about. Just win football games. And look, I hate it. I wanted Drake to win a Heisman just as bad as anyone, but Drake May throws for a buck fifty and the UNC wins by twenty one. <laughs> Dude, yeah. I think it's I, I I think something we have to keep in mind is that you know, compared to these other quarterbacks uh, in the country, Drake May is still learning a new offense under Lindsey. You know, Lindsey is still installing a brand new offense. Um, 
which which combines a lot of things, you know, based off the um, Gus Malzahn tree. Uh, we know Lindsay loves his creative run game predicated on that power inside outside zones. He's not really much of an option guy, but um, he does use a lot of jet motion there. So, I mean, look, Drake may is still learning so many new things in this offense and we're starting to see it click. But like you said, that first third of the season, there's going to be hiccups. There's going to be these learning adjustments, but you know, to his credit, Drake may has been a pretty accurate quarterback. So thus far UNC, in terms of like completion percentage, uh, top three in the ACC. So, um, look, I'm not worried. I'm not worried if Drake can make the throws. I'm not worried that Drake is getting enough, getting enough usage in this offense. Look, he's still learning this offense. Like you said, the W's are just what matter. And I think Lindsay's offense, while it does take a lot of learning, it's a smart offense. It gets it. It gets the points when they need to be. You know, compared to Phil Longo, where we're still, you know, wondering, hey, are we gonna are, are we gonna get off on third down? Like. Can we can we convert in the red zone? I think Chip Lindsay's offense is a very intelligent offense that Drake May is thriving in. And while he may not be getting the power and the usage that we're seeing in this offense, he's still winning games. And I'll take that. I'll take an ACC championship and a potential New Year's Six Bowl. I'll take that over any kind of Heisman Trophy. Yeah, that's... Listen, man, I know that some of y'all... If you're listening to this, you're probably not in this boat, but I know there's some people out there that don't understand there's levels to this stuff, man. At UNC, we like championships. That's what we're used to winning. We're we're not we're not over here for for Heisman's or participation trophies. I've never seen this football team play in a meaningful bowl. I mean, they've played in close to a meaningful bowl whenever they had to play against Stanford, but and the Oregon game was kind of a big bowl, but like, nah, I want. I want one of the big four. Yeah. Give like, give me one of the big four, and yeah, it's that's just how I feel, man. I I know that Drake is still going to be a good pro, and you know, I'd love for the Patriots to tank for him. That's a conversation <laughs> for another day. But I still think he's going to be a great pro, and that's that's all I need to know. This team's four and zero. They're taking care of business, so. Let's talk about some teams that maybe we we expected this a little bit out of North Carolina. Decently tough non-con schedule, but ultimately we expected this group to be 4-0. Let's talk about some surprises. You know, doesn't have to necessarily be good. It could be a bad surprise. I mean, who we'll, we'll go back and forth. I'll let you start with your first. Okay. Who's your first surprise where you're like Am I looking at this right? Like, how is this team this good? Um, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with Utah. Look, I I think Utah for the past few weeks has shown us they are one of the top defensive teams in the country. The way that they can they, they can stop the run, they can cover guys uh, extremely well. The offense, you know, still still kind of getting there, but they're leaning on a great defense right now to be um, number 18 in the country. I believe it is. And look, they're going to give these teams in the Pac-12, um, look, they're, they're going to give teams a lot of headaches. Um, it's just they have a very dominant defense um, that is really shining through um, in, in their conference play and in their game play. And I, I think they're one of the biggest surprises here. And they can upset a lot of these teams in the, the Pac-12 now. Washington, Oregon, uh, USC, they can spoil a lot of those teams 
um, just championship aspirations, playoff aspirations, um, just based on how great and dominant their defense is performing right now. Hey, I'm a Utah stand. I think they have a man who has arguably the best name in college football. Money Parks. Got to be one of the best <laughs> names. Got to be one of the best names of all time. So I'm looking to make sure that I say this right. Let's see. It looks like they won. Um, Yeah, about seven or eight. Okay, so... I for me it's got to be Louisville. Okay. Like they haven't necessarily played a gauntlet and they struggled against NC State, which NC State's awful, so that is not a good sign. But I think they won seven games last year, went like seven and five. The fact that they're five and zero oh, and due to their strength of schedule have like the third highest odds to to go to the ACC title game. I mean, it's a little bit of luck, but it's also insane that this team is undefeated. I mean, the luck to avoid Florida State, Clemson, and UNC on your schedule all in the same year is nuts. I mean, basically, they have Miami, and they have – who else does Louisville see? I, it's Miami and someone else that's not – Oh, well, they play Notre Dame this week. That's not a conference game, so it doesn't matter. So they play at Pitt, and then they play Duke. But is Riley Leonard going to be back? I mean, if yeah. Riley Leonard's not back. Yeah, that's – If Riley Leonard's back, they're getting absolutely crushed by Duke. But – You think they don't – even even with Riley Leonard, you think they don't have a chance against Duke? <sighs> I don't know, man. Duke honestly, Duke honestly surprised me. They did. They put up good. a fight. They put up a fight against Notre Dame. Like I, I, I didn't. I did not expect that. Yeah. See, that's my thing because I, obviously, Notre Dame mental mistake. Too many guys or not enough guys on the field against yeah, Ohio State. That was but, funny. <laughs> but like, they're really good, and yep. I didn't know if Duke was actually ready for that. Like, I thought they might get killed. And, man, I was wrong. Like, Duke's defense is what gets me. Like, why is their defense so good? It's it's mind-boggling. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, UNC gets them at home this year. So, now, if UNC plays them without Raleigh Leonard, <laughs> we better win by 28 points. Oh, yeah, I don't know man. how severe the injury is. And I honestly want Riley Leonard to play just because, yeah. one, I don't like getting cheap victories. And two, in college, there is nothing better than watching two really good quarterbacks play Absolutely. against each other. Absolutely. It's just facts. There's nothing wanna, better. Want to beat guys at their best, you know? So, I mean, I hope Riley Leonard, Riley Leonard can come back as fast as possible. Who's another one you got? All right. Uh, so, I'm going to go to the other end of the spectrum my home state here um a huge disappointing team has been the tennessee volunteers you know coming off of last year 11-2 played in the orange bowl uh defeated clemson and now it just seems like their offense at least against at least against the heavyweights and the sec um they look they look lost and i know you know um there's no hendon hooker this year replaced by joe milton 
Um, but it just seems like they can't really get their offense going. They can't get a lot of things clicking against these good SEC teams. Uh, they against Florida, they they looked just completely lost um, in Gainesville, and you know that's Florida always seems to really have their number. And this this game, this game a few weeks ago, that that was the game that they were expected to you know turn a new leaf, turn a new corner. Uh, show why they're a top team in the country and it just it feels like this season there's they're just taking a step backwards um and you know they don't they don't have nico starting yet um who's going to be who's going to be a beast when he does but you know it just seems like they're taking a step backwards this year and they're 22 compared to finishing six last year you know they had a really they, they were in the conversation to be um in the in that college football championship but it just feels like they're taking a step back this year, especially with SEC play, and they just really can't get this offense going. Yeah, I'm going to stay in the conference that Tennessee is in, and I'm going to go with LSU. Now, they did come into the season too high on the on the rankings for my liking. I didn't think they were fifth. I think they should have been like 10th. But yeah. – yeah, they're still really good. Mm-hmm. Jaden Daniels is like, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's throwing for 1,700 yards, 16 touchdowns, and two picks this year. Like, mm-hmm. he's insane. But they're disappointing because they're three and two, and the two times they've played meaningful opponents, they've lost, and their defense looks horrific. To yeah. Florida State and Ole Miss combined, they've given up 100 points which is nuts. They lost. They scored 49 points against Ole Miss last week and lost because they gave up 55. And this is a team that genuinely had – they didn't have playoff aspirations, but they had like kind of what Tennessee was last year, go 11-2, and you know, make a really quality bowl game aspirations. And – Dude, it's it's bad. I mean, they're three and two, and then they have to go to Missouri this weekend, who has yeah. been another surprising team that's five Absolutely. and zero oh and have a has a couple quality wins. So that's no easy that's no easy uh easy walk. And yeah, man, that's they've been disappointing. It's it's always the SEC as a whole. It's kind of been a little disappointing this year, to be honest with you. Yeah, as I'd wild agree. as that sounds, I'd agree. I mean, it seems like it seems like they've always been this behemoth every year in college football, like that top conference. But you know, the Pac-12 is at least this season. They've got the elite quarterbacks. They've got the the, the elite defenses. It seems like the Pac-12 is really becoming that leader in college football, at least this season. You know, um, before they uh, dissolve, but you know, yeah, uh, you know, going going out going out on the high note, I guess. But um, it seems like the Pac-12 really has that elite quarterback play, that elite offense, week after week. Yeah, they do have. I mean, I think they have like six teams ranked, and yeah. three of them are in the top ten. So it's it's interesting. I mean, the SEC is still good, mm-hmm. but. I'm just looking at it from the sense of the way they performed in those first two weeks where they were losing to opponents from other conferences 
doesn't look good because the SEC is like notorious for winning non-conference games and being the big dog. And it's just, mm-hmm. I still think Georgia's a big dog. Yeah, they're gonna we're gonna get the real test this week. They do play Kentucky, who is also yeah. really freaking good. But I still, I still think. People are insane for riding off Alabama as early as they have. I mean, that team held Ole Miss to 10 points. Yeah. And the defense is nuts. But we'll see, man. At the end of the day, I don't really care as long as UNC continues to get dubs. Absolutely. One week at a time, man. One week at a time. So this is the question I always ask people before they go. What they're four and oh, yeah. So, what is your looking at the rest of the schedule? What is your ceiling and what is your floor for the final eight games and what their final record ends up being? Hmm. That's a good, that's a great question. Okay, so Ceiling. If we're if we're talking ceiling, I think I think I think they can finish. I think they can win out with the exception of Miami. I think I think that's the only team on the schedule. If if they're playing at how this offense is clicking under Lindsay and you know, Drake May starting to find that step, find himself. I think the only loss on the schedule is the Miami game because yeah, Miami's I'm, playing great football. I'll look at it. There's really three that are, I bet you would consider losable games, okay. Miami Duke and at Clemson, not necessarily yeah. because I think Clemson's great, but playing in death Valley is just horrible. And at least you get Duke and you get Miami at home, but I look at it. If they go anything worse than 10 and two, I'll be upset. Okay. So I, I agree with you. I, I honestly, I think the ceiling is they could go 12 and 0 if they don't get in there. I do. Hits. No, no. I, I just, I, I didn't, I didn't want to be so pretentious as to say like they could, they could win out, but like, dude, at this offense does what, it's been doing against against Minnesota, against Pittsburgh, you know, spreading it out, just like using using the play action. I think they could win out in this schedule. And like you know, think about Clemson is that I've I'm just not I'm not high on the Clemson play calling this year. Like against Florida State, dude. Like 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 I don't know what they were doing. Like in those last few calls, like I'm the Clemson play calling does not scare me this year. I'm like it just doesn't. <laughs> no, it's. It's rough. Um, basically, for me, with Tez back, the offense mm-hmm. will be nuts. And yeah. if the defense – I think this defensive group is a lot better than last year's. Yeah. If the defense can just be adequate, yes, that's all we need. And, I, I mean, I, I do think there is a strong chance that we could be looking at a 12-0 UNC team versus a 12 and 0 Florida State team for a berth to the college football playoff in oh, Charlotte. That would be yeah. insane. Dude, that that's be a, that. uh, that's uh, all yeah. I could ask for because at that point 
you secured a big four bowl. Yeah. At that point, you're getting a huge New Year's Day bowl. You're getting something big. And that's all I can ask for, man. And yeah. So what do you what do you think? Listen, we know as as alumni, we know this is what this team does. And it's only a matter of time before they break our hearts with an absolute egg that they're going to lay at some point. So what do you think the floor is, knowing the the way that this program loves to mess with the fans? Um, I think you mentioned it, but I think they lose the remaining the remainder of their ranked games. So Miami, Duke, and you and Clemson. No, Clemson's not ranked, but at the remainder of their like high high level opponent games, uh, which would be Miami, uh, Duke, and Clemson, and so they would finish the they finish the season in that scenario nine and three, which which wouldn't be bad. I mean, which which wouldn't be bad. You know, wouldn't get them a big four berth. Um, it'd still be it'd still be a pretty adequate season, all things considered. But um, I think that's the floor, uh, just because Miami's Miami has pretty good defense that i think has the potential to frustrate drake may same with duke too um the way that they've been playing especially for Leonard's leonard's there um and then clemson like you said death valley is tough for any opponent that's one of the toughest places to play in the country but I, th- I think that's their floor um i don't see any i don't see any as long as they play competently i don't see any difficulty against virginia campbell georgia tech or NC, or NC State, I think the offense um, is good enough at this point to just to sleep through those games. Not, not underestimate those opponents, but you know, just play competently and win those games. But I think those I three rank, I think those three high level games um, will should, will give them a bit of trouble. I agree. I think I, it ultimately comes down to. Um, I had my guy Tommy Ashley from inside Carolina on yesterday. Mm-hmm. And he said it ultimately just comes down to continuing to do something that Mac Brown teams usually don't do and that this team has done so far. And that's just taking care of business. Yes. When you're, when you're a touchdown, like for example, Syracuse, not a bad team, but you're an eight point favorite this week. Don't play around, take care of business. I think they'll do just that. And I'm excited. It feels good to have a relevant yes. football program. Um, that's honestly, we've been pretty blessed because we graduated before the the first Drake May year, but we were able to witness some pretty elite squads led by Sam Howe, led by those two NFL running backs. I mean, we, we got to witness some pretty good squads. And it just feels nice that UNC football is going in the right direction. Yeah. It feels nice that Tez Walker is a free man and we finally get to see we finally get to see why people are so were so upset about him not being eligible because if you don't know how good he is you're about to find out. And you know, as always, great talking to my guy Brandon. Before yeah. we get out of here Brandon, hit the people with your socials, let them know where they can find your work and if you do somehow happen to be a Memphis Grizzlies and UNC fan listening to this pod, I promise you, Brandon is a must follow. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Wakiji. Um, 
like Jacob mentioned, with NBA season back in full force, I do write for Bluff City Media, which is the uh, Memphis sports media outlet. So I'll be writing a lot of feature feature stories about the Grizzlies this year um, and about just you know other teams in the NBA this year, too. Um, I cover both the Grizzlies and the NBA um, as a whole. I'll also be starting a brand new podcast in a matter of weeks. Um, more news to be more News will be out soon on that. Uh, that'll be, also be through Bluff City Media, but uh, I'll be starting a basketball podcast in a couple of weeks. So you can find everything on my uh, Twitter at Brandon underscore Wakiji. Love it. Love it. Go give him a follow, man. Another great time discussing our Tar Heels, UNC Athletics, and all things of the sort. Until next time, everyone. Be safe and enjoy some UNC athletics.